Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. It is not Thursday night. It's not Friday morning. It is actually Wednesday. It is August 18th. Welcome back to the pit wall. Mr. Mark Daly, Mr. Mark Hamilton and joining us again, Mr. Matt Sakaris of Sakaris and Price Sports Talk presentation here in Vancouver. Guys, welcome. Matt, number one, how's your summer been? And number two, how are things going with the show? Oh, the show's going great, Mark. Thanks for asking. Uh, we're live daily, 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific time at SakarisonPrice.com. We've give, been given tons to talk about uh, this summer from our local teams. But I, I got to tell you, Formula One continues to seep into our show more and more. With more people here in Canada and the United States getting hooked on, on F1, like the numbers are just extraordinary now on TSN and ESPN, huh? in terms of viewership and each and every day we do a lot of um, interactive segments with our audience and just about each and every day there is something F1 related that's coming back from the audience. So uh, delighted you guys would ask me back and uh, extremely excited to talk F1 at the mid-season break here with you. Well, you know, I thought it was funny a couple of months ago when uh, you were on the show the first time back at the beginning of June, just how eventful the season has been, but it's only just accelerated, you know, pun intended here, because we do at some point there was going to be some controversy in the season and uh, the season itself obviously hasn't uh, disappointed uh, this, uh, you know, thus far, but also the controversy when it came came at a very, very, I guess, auspicious time for for Lewis, inconvenient for Max, obviously. And the past couple of races have been really, 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 really dramatic. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah, it's been, uh, you know, quite the... Uh, quite difficult to try and go through the past uh, couple of weeks with uh, with no Formula One, but we'll be back to it uh, very, very uh, shortly. But now we're going to get into it. And this is, I always love doing these kinds of shows. We, we've done these ones in the past. Sometimes we call it our mid-season reviews, sometimes the report cards, whatever you want to call it. But now this is the perfect time of year to sit back, pull out the red pen, pull out the green pen and the gold stars and kind of rate and review the drivers, the teams, the races, and some of the big surprises, the big disappointments and things like that but Matt I'm going to throw it to you first of all well you know I'll let Mark make his notes here and steal uh, you know all our ideas and come up with something better later on but what has been your biggest surprise in the first half of the season so far I'm going to vote uh, Lando Norris and I'm going to vote Lando Norris on two wavelengths number one that he's ahead of the second Mercedes and the second Red Bull at this stage of the game like to me that's amazing achievement because like I thought Sergio would really up the Red Bull game and he has and really after some difficult uh, a difficult start from Valtteri um, you know he's right there in a fantastic car in the Mercedes and so for Lando to be ahead of those two I think is an amazing achievement but also take a look at where he stands in comparison to Ricardo 
I mean, it is night and day. There is a Grand Canyon between the two McLaren drivers. Um, we've talked about it in the past. Like I'm an old school F1 head, and McLaren's a, a iconic name in Formula One racing. I rooted for so many McLaren drivers over the years, and so to see McLaren back, to see the young man's energy, uh, Norris, the way he's invigorated that team and, and hanging there with the big boys at such a young age, he's been my biggest surprise and my most pleasant one. Yeah, absolutely. Lou, or sorry, Lando's been a, a real revelation the, this season. I mean, when you look, like you say, where he is and where he's compared to his teammate, I mean, Danny's been one of those really frustrating guys to watch this season because we know what he's capable of and we've seen what he's done in Formula One in the past and he's just obviously not comfortable in that car and just not being able to you know, put it through the same things that Lando's been able to do. And I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago and thinking – when comparing Lando to other guys like Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen, guys that uh, I've labeled for a couple of years as potential, uh, you know, really good choices for future world champions, I'm starting to put Lando into that same train of thought. I mean, obviously, McLaren's come back out of that black hole of despair and, uh, you know, all those uh, really negative places where they were four or five, six years ago. And they've really come back in, in a fairly short amount of time, might I add. And to get a driver like Lando and to see him living up uh, and, and growing before eyes is great because when he was uh, sort of thrown out there a couple of years ago by, or I guess it was Franz Tost, who was well still the team principal of uh, Alpha Tauri, but then Toro Rosso had said something in the media that he wanted to try and bring Lando in on sort of a, a loan deal for like a year and a half or something like that. And Zach Brown said, yep, yeah, nope, that's not going to happen. We're going to get him into a McLaren as soon as possible. And I knew then that uh, he must be onto something. He's absolutely lived up to all the hype. Mm-hmm. Quite right. And um, while I have long been a Danny Ricardo fan, I think he brings so much to F1. He's one of the great characters in the sport. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if there's anybody more cooperative, more fun as a driver than Danny Ricardo. Uh, you know, the getting used to the car and it doesn't quite fit me, that's wearing pretty thin with me at this stage, gentlemen. I mean, we're halfway through the season. You know, my conclusion at this stage of the game is that Danny has lost his fastball. And I'm not sure of his contractual status for next year or what is. You guys always inform me about the latest F1 uh, news. But, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is sort of uh, the last however many races left in the season uh, in Danny's F1 career. It's It really is a fascinating uh, case because we were talking to Stuart Bell, who's uh, a journalist uh, based out of uh, Melbourne last week. And, yeah, you know, we, we, we talked about that, like – like exactly at uh, at the age that Danny's at now that I asked Stuart uh, precisely that question is um you know he must be very you know aware of the fact at the age that he is now that that the time is ticking I mean he's not 42 like Fernando is but he's definitely getting to that age in his career that you know if you're a team principal and a guy like Danny Ricardo is on the market should it come to pass for whatever circumstances are you really wanting to commit long term to a guy that's already in his early 30s and and that's the problem. If you look at the Daniel Ricardo contract, and Matt, honestly, a month ago, two months ago, I I probably would have been a little bit more optimistic. I'm becoming less positive by the day. To your point, yeah. we're 11 Grand Prix through the season. But if you look at the Ricardo contract, McLaren went in with, I think, what was probably a team-friendly deal originally. It was a three-year term. He makes about $17 million a year. 
that's a big commitment in Formula One. Yeah. And I think going into this season, you know what? You could probably rationalize that, justify that. But now you're in a position where, wow, we're on the hook to this guy for two more seasons. And to compound the situation, he makes $6 million a year more than his junior teammate in Lando Norris, which I, I'm sure isn't going to create friction within that relationship. But it gives Lando so much more leverage when it comes to negotiating next year or the year after. Yeah, maybe that's why Zach pals around with Lando so much. Just keep him close <laughs> to the bosom there so he doesn't fixate on that $6 million a year salary difference. Because, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Lando has completely overachieved here and exceeded expectations. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, Danny, I think, has underachieved and, and not come close to meeting expectations. I hope it turns around for him. I'd love to see another shoey. Uh, I was just going to ask you, uh, Matt, if you were ever in that position, and you probably won't be, uh, unless you're able to partake in the uh, the podium celebrations. But if offered, would you do a shoey, you know, with Danny Ricardo, not just some random person you encounter on the street? Mark, if I ever stood on an F1 podium as a driver, I would drink champagne out of a jock strap. Okay, <laughs> the- and if it was at Monza, I might strip down and crowd surf naked. Yeah. <laughs> I would be so elated, so ecstatic. I mean, uh, there's some of the great scenes in sport, right? Uh, those F1 podiums and the celebrations. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, it's been amazing. Like I, you know, I've attended the Canadian Grand Prix a number of times over the years. Danny has had some success there, as yep. as we all know. So it's it's you know it's been great fun, and I love uh, I love how he's been able to sort of. Even uh, you know, get some of his fellow drivers to come out of their skin a little bit, and yeah, in some of the tomfoolery. You know, I'm going to have to revise my notes here. I was going to say that my biggest surprise of the season was Red Bull living up to and exceeding the hype. But your, your, your admission there of what you would do if you were on the podium, I think, is now my biggest surprise of the the, the season thus far. But yeah. hey, Mark, now it's your turn. Uh, we're 11 races into the year so far. What has been your biggest surprise? What did you not see coming that is come to pass went off the board a little bit with this one and maybe a little less so after the hungarian grand prix but for me the biggest surprise is renault and let me explain renault came into this season with virtually no changes to that car so they carried over the car that they had last year they've made no changes to the power unit last year by far their most successful season since they returned to formula one in 2015 of course ricardo scored a couple of podiums in his last season with that team esteban Ocon finished second at sahir they scored 177 points in the championship by far their best season they came into this season and i think institutionally, their focus was very much on getting Alonso acquainted with the team and getting him acquainted with the car, but really building towards 2022. But for me, they've been a real surprise. They've got 77 points so far. We're halfway through the campaign. So they're more or less on target for where they scored last year in terms of performance. But I think they're quietly putting together a really good campaign. And there's really two pieces or two signs of optimism for me. One is that over the last five or six Grand Prix, Fernando Alonso has really returned to form in qualifying and practice during the Grand Prix. And he made a comment a couple of weeks ago that really stuck with me, which was he was being interviewed by Will Buxton following a Grand Prix. And Will had asked him like, hey, what's changed in your approach to the races? You know, you're you're putting in these stellar performances. You're in the points week after week. And his point was, you know what? For the first four or five Grand Prix, I was listening to the engineers. I was listening to the technician. I was just executing based on their instruction. He's like, it just got to the point where 
where I realized I could do better by feel. And as soon as he started driving by feel and with his instincts, his performances accelerated. And then Esteban Ocon, again, this was a guy that sat out an entire year because we couldn't find a seat for him. Uh, again, putting together a quiet campaign and then to win and I get hungry, unique circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately he was at the front of the pack and he held on despite all of that pressure, despite the fact that Vettel was faster than him to secure his first Grand Prix victory. So for me, the most pleasant surprise so far this year, Renault for sure. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good call. And I'm really impressed to see what Fernando's doing because I mean, at now plus you know more than 40 years old, you kind of think that you're getting to the age where theoretically that uh, your, your reaction times and just uh, biologically, you just uh, start to slow down a little bit. Now I'm starting to think, you know, could Fernando Alonso potentially become the Gordie Howe of Formula One and see him in the sport for, <laughs> for several more years now? But I don't know if we'll ever go as far to see a Fernando Alonso hat trick in the sport, uh, but it'd be kind of interesting to, to see nonetheless. But uh, yeah, with- a guy that I wouldn't mind, you know, if he got one more podium before it was all said and done, you know, a chance to take that. A big, deep bow in front of F1 fans. That would be amazing, guys. It, it would be. And I mean, he must be really kind of, uh, you know, chomping at the bit there after seeing Esteban win in Hungary a couple of weeks ago. And Hungary can be a bit of a, a lottery kind of race. We've seen it in the past that we've had some, what I guess you could say, shock winners there over the years. And certainly when we saw that sort of turn one bowling alley incident at the race a couple of weeks ago on that really slick track, and you see all the front runners literally eliminated before they're even you know a quarter mile into the race that you know it, it's great because it gives other guys an opportunity to set or step up and, and make a name for themselves and it would be really kind of cool to see because I, I remember when I went to my first race back in 2001 at the European Grand Prix I went back not so long ago, within the last year or something, just looked at uh, some old articles and some pictures and stuff like that to see some very fresh-faced and young-looking guys like Kimi Räikkönen and Fernando Alonso and uh, Jensen Button and, and guys that were all basically at the, the start of their careers. And it's, it's funny, you fast-forward 20 years later, uh, Kimi and Fernando were still there, although Fernando is the only one that really looks, I, I think, legitimately pacey and racy at, at the moment. Was that at the Nurburgring, Mark? Was that it? Was it was? But you see, we we have it written into the contract that Mark and I have that I have to mention that at least two to three times every okay. show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've only been to one race, so there's only one name that I can drop. Hamilton's been all over the world, as we know. Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to go back and uh, just before we start, throw to a break here in a couple of minutes, and um, maybe it's not such a big surprise. Maybe I'm. Kind of going for the easy answer here in that uh, Red Bull have done what they've uh, gone to or set out to achieve um, before the start of the season. But it's one thing to say, we're going to come in, we're going to throw everything, including the kitchen sink at the season. We're going to go all in for 2021. It's it's one thing to say that because, I mean, there are countless examples across any sport that you can think of, of a team, of a player, whoever that has been considered a favorite or a contender going into the season, and they just flat out don't live up to the expectations. They don't deliver. And the thing is that, that, that what I found so interesting with uh, Red Bull through the first half of the season is initially... Well, maybe not initially, maybe after about a third of the way through the season that just the the big gap between themselves and Mercedes. And now 
Mercedes has kind of clawed back a little bit over the past couple of races, but to me, that's a bit of a false positive because you look, Max and Lewis had their accident at uh, in Britain. We had all the, the carnage in Hungary. So for me, it's going to be really interesting coming back to these next couple of races to see how much of these two teams really evened out? Where where is that uh, that that real difference between them? Is it still clearly advantage Red Bull? Has Mercedes been able to pull something back or whatever else? But that that is my call. What, what do you guys think? Agree? Disagree? Or like did I say? Did I just pick the easy low hanging fruit? I don't I don't disagree that it's the low hanging fruit. But I think it's also important simply because it's really driven the narrative this season. And mm-hmm. if not for the fact that they've been able to deliver, we'd be watching another another parade of Mercedes just dancing their way to a couple of championships. So I think yeah. it's it's absolutely accurate, but it's also very important. Absolutely. I concur. I have some more pointed comments on Red Bull that I will save for later in the podcast, but I concur with what Hamilton says, and no, I don't think it's uh, low-hanging fruit. I think it's a an astute observation, Mark. Awesome. Okay, guys, we're just going to throw it to a break here. We're going to come back in a minute, and you know we can't have surprises and all the good things without having disappointment. So that's what we're going to talk about on the flip side. So don't go away. We'll be back after this very short break, and a word from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, welcome back to the show. You are listening and watching to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton, and Mr. Matt Sakaris here on the pit wall tonight. We're going back and reviewing and grading and ranking the first half of the season uh, so far. So before the break, we were talking about our biggest surprises of the season so far. I, I think, Mark, maybe you went out a bit of a limb. I didn't expect you to, to really uh, you know, pull uh, Renault, or I should say Alpine, out of the hat but, uh, like, like you did, but that was definitely a good one. But like I hinted at before the break, you can't have all the good stuff without having uh, disappointments. And I, I think that regular listeners of the show will know what, uh, you know, we'll probably have a good idea where either one of us are going to go with this one, Mark, and I'm pretty sure I know, before even asking where you're going to go, 
show. So I'm going to ask Matt first of all, and uh, and see if he's going to go line up with with uh, with, uh, with our expectations here. If he's going to go a different direction, what was your biggest disappointment through well, the first half? There, there's probably an answer here involving a prancing horse, but um, we're three Vancouver guys. We should have all rendezvoused at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in the basin of the St. Lawrence River. So my biggest disappointment is, whoa, Canada. Mm-hmm. Indian Grand Prix canceled for a second year in a row, and that's too bad because I've made it part of my calendar, my schedule. But how about the performance or lack thereof of Aston Martin? This is a Canadian-owned team. There was a lot of big talk from the <clears throat> chairman on Drive to Survive over this past off season. They made great strides last year, albeit, as some say, an imposter Mercedes. <laughs> um, but I was really hoping the Lawrence Stroll effect would be greater on this team, and I certainly had higher hopes for Lance Stroll. Uh, frankly, if not for Nick Latifi and the uh, first points last uh, in Hungary for Williams, there would be very little to write home about for our home and native land, gentlemen, uh, in the 2021 F1 season. I mean, take a look at where Aston Martin was last year, albeit under a different name, in the Constructors' Championship. And, and like, look where they are now. I mean, they're behind AlphaTauri. They're behind Alpine. I mean, they can't see McLaren with a telescope. So, um, I, yeah... All in all, as a Canadian F1 fan, um, who, you know, and we talked about this last time I was on the pod, you have so many things to root for now. You got Lance, you got Lawrence, you got Latifi, you got a, a great track and a great Grand Prix that everybody adores right there in Montreal. And there hasn't been much to cheer for uh, when it comes to the Maple Leaf. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, actually, that's a really good point. I'd completely, maybe it's a little bit of trauma, <laughs> you know, not, not wanting to think about the cancellation of Montreal. I know there was some talk that they wanted to maybe fit it in later in the season, but I mean, honestly, I mean, where are you going to slot it back into the schedule considering how packed the back end, back end of the year is? I know that Japan got uh, canceled uh, just uh, today, but still, yeah, really disappointment. Yeah. Well, have we ever had a Grand Prix in the snow? Like, because if we go in November, we could get snow in Montreal. <laughs> I mean, I would pay to see that. Heck, I'd pay to sit there in the snow in November if oh, they so like to I. make it up then. Well, the thing is, I mean, out of any of the teams in Formula One right now, I think that uh, Red Bull would be able to pivot because they seem to be, uh, you know, on the extreme side of the sports and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, all joking aside. Well, yeah, I mean. Montreal with Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> It certainly would be a spectacle for, for, for different reasons. But yeah, I mean, oh, Canada is right. I mean, when you look at uh, at Aston Martin, when you look at uh, Lance's uh, performances, I mean, we've certainly seen the the potential over the past uh, couple of years. And I, I think that starting coming out of the season, it was disappointing to see how Sebastian, just with that limited uh, amount of testing that he had, I mean, they had the three days, he only got a portion thereof in Bahrain. You could tell coming into the season, he just wasn't used to the car. And then he starts to get a bit of a groove. And then in, in Hungary a couple of weeks ago, it really looked like something special was going to happen. And then th- this whole appeal thing, the fact that, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, didn't have the, the uh, specified amount of fuel in the tank that was less left over. I mean, it was very funny the way that I thought that, uh, you know, how really vocal 
uh, Otmar Safnauer was after the race, and they said we're going to appeal this. And you know, according to our data, there's this much. We figured there's this much uh, fuel left in the tank, and he pretty much hinted that it was going to be a pretty much of a, a slam dunk of an appeal that uh, he would uh, Vettel be reinstated, and then the, the the stewards looked at it, and then. They basically said, "Yeah, no. There's, you know, what we have is what we have, and we're we're throwing this thing out." And there was no further comment made by Aston Martin. And I kind of like was thinking to myself, "Like, oh, pretty much, right?" <laughs> yeah, it, it was it, it was really exciting to see because I thought this is a team that we've really focused on for for many reasons uh, uh, that the three of us this year, and this seemed to be a real turning point. And I just kind of thought, well, maybe that might not be a turning point, but maybe it might be a moment of almost infamy and in, in the season. So certainly disappointing, but it was also good to see Latifi running a little bit higher up in the order in Hungary. Again, he had a fairly decent result at the end of the race, and hopefully Williams is another team that's going to claw their way up out of the basement. But again, I mean, to to, to get back up and to be a challenger, it's got to be the expense of somebody else. And unless something drastic happens at Williams and assuming Nick sticks beyond the end of 2021, I just don't know whether or not that's going to happen with Williams. What, What do you guys think? I have to I have to pile on with the Lance Stroll slander a little bit. Oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, I feel the same way about Lance that I did about Andrew Wiggins for the first four or five years of his career, that this is a kid that has all the talent in the world and shows it in flashes. But with Andrew, there was finally a point four or five seasons into his career where I had to sell my Andrew Wiggins stock. I'm like, <laughs> if it was going to happen, if he was going to show that, that hunger to compete, compete and to win, it would have happened. And my frustration with Lance is I'm at that same inflection point where I'm like, look, I get it. 2017, his first season, rough start. He didn't know the tires. He scores a podium. 18 was an unmitigated disaster. Comes over in 19. That car is a disaster. Last year, puts together a couple of podiums. He has that really great qualifying session in Turkey. But I look this year and and I'm frustrated because this is now a car and a team he's been with for three years. And you look at his errors this year. So he, he passes Gasly off the track at Imola. He crashes in qualifying at Baku. He has a pit lane speeding penalty in Austria. He crashes into Leclerc at Hungary. It's not just that he's putting in mediocre performances. He's making too many errors. And I just, I don't know where the accountability is with this guy. And you talk about Vettel. Obviously he had a really tough season last year with Ferrari, but he's out qualifying him. He has double the points. He would have more if not for the fact that he lost that second place finish in Hungary. For all intents and purposes, he's getting crushed by by Vettel in every every important KPI. And to, to Matt's point, to me, Aston Martin was the biggest disappointment. And I've got some others that I'll get to, but I think we had so much excitement for this team because last year, everything seemed to break right. And I get it. Lance had COVID mid-season. Sergio missed a couple of races because of COVID. But even then, Nico came in and put in a couple of points finishes. And, and Sergio scores a, a win. And things seem to go well and Sergio finished fourth. And I, I just assumed they would build on this, this season and that, Hey, this could legitimately be a team competing for a third in the constructors championship. And to Matt's point, they are nowhere. They are absolutely nowhere. They're a midfield team at best. And I get it. They're obviously hampered by the floor changes and that low rake design totally isn't compatible with the current aero formula. But all that aside, Mercedes seems to have made adjustments and the Mercedes drivers, at least one of them has been far more consistent than 
who we would believe would be the lead driver for this team. But just to pile on to the Lance slander, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with, uh, with uh, basically everything you said there, or said there, Mark. But one thing that stands out to me is you said that you have a list of other disappointments here. It's like, you have to hang on, my friend. It isn't Festivus <laughs> quite yet. I mean, we're not quite at the airing of grievances, but, you know, whatever. It's, it's summer break. We're, we're trying to fill some some time here. So, okay, Aston Martin is uh, obviously one that uh, one big disappointment. And so apparently you have others. So my friend, the floor is yours. Well, I'll make this one quick so we can get to yours because I'm sure you've got something of more meaningful substance. But <laughs> I, I jotted down, obviously for me, number one was Lance. Two, Number two was Aston Martin. But number three was Daniel Ricciardo. And I don't mm-hmm. think we need to lead into this too much because we no. spoke to it during that introductory segment. But to Matt's point, I get it. There's adjustment and transition is necessary. And we've talked so much about how impactful the three days of winter testing was this year. If you flash back three, four, five years, these drivers would have two weeks to get accustomed to the car. In this case, they had three days. But that said, Daniel Ricardo's in his early 30s and he's been around. He's driven different cars. And I get it. This is the first time he's been in a new car with a new power unit. So there's some adjustment there. But I would have expected that 11 Grand Prix in, it would have been closer. And where he really seems to struggle is on the more technical tracks. The, the gap between him and Lando isn't so obvious on a high-speed circuit, like uh, potentially a, a Monza or an Imola or a Silverstone. But when you get onto these really tight technical circuits like Monaco, he is no nowhere relative to Lando Norris. And if you look at the race results this year, he's only outperformed Lando once, and that's for obvious reasons. Uh, He has been outqualified eight times. He's simply not doing with the MCL 35 what his teammate Lando is. And to me, that's the biggest disappointment. And now we're at that point in the season where 11 Grand Prix in, I got to start wondering when it's going to change. And Mm -hmm. we talked earlier this season about the fact that Daniel was He was humble enough to admit that he was struggling in the car. He was struggling mentally. And one of the comments that he made that to me was really, really interesting earlier in the season was he had spoken to the fact that in that team, they share a lot of telemetry. And this isn't always to be taken for granted, but he has direct line of sight into the telemetry coming out of Lando's car. And his comment early in the season, three or four Grand Prix in was like, I don't understand how he's breaking so late into a corner. And I don't understand how he can carry so much speed through that corner. Meaning that if I braked as late as he did, I'm going to skid off the track. And if I tried to carry that much speed into the corner, I'm going to understeer into the gravel, into a wall. So at that point, he clearly hadn't come to understand the capabilities of the car and the chassis. But now 11 Grand Prix and that Delta doesn't seem to have changed. And I think if you simply look at the race classifications, it's a little bit misleading because he's consistently in the points. But what Mm -hmm. you need to look at is the delta between the two of them in qualifying and ultimately the delta between the two of them at the end of the race in terms of not finish, but time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a, a great point. Is that you would think that at, at this point in the season, that uh, you know issues with the car decide that he would have uh, gotten it fi- figured out, and it really is a night and day. And I, I really kind of wonder now where th- this team goes because if you look at where they are in the constructors' uh, championship, they're tied now for third place with the uh, Ferrari, who've really kind of exceeded my expectations to a certain degree over the past uh, couple of races. I mean, they they started the year obviously a little bit kind of lukewarm, but now I I think it's setting up for a, an interesting run in down the stretch here to the end of the year between McLaren and Ferrari, because Matt, you just kind of hinted to at it at the start of the segments when you said that in disappointments there, there, there's probably a prancing horse in there somewhere. And, 
it, it's a problematic discussion because based on where they were last year, yeah. it's 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 not a disappointment, but being the fact that it's Ferrari, yes. you don't, it, Ferrari doesn't show up to compete for third. Yes, so, I mean, yes. for, from, from, from that uh, perspective or from that viewpoint alone, it's got to be disappointing, but it's, and, and I mentioned this a couple of times in recent weeks, the, a lot of the language coming from Ferrari over the past 18 months or so is not, not defeated, but, or, de, or, or defeatist, but really sort of downplaying their chances. And, you know, guys don't expect anything till 22 or maybe 23, you know, and it, it doesn't seem, it's not the kind of language that you would expect from a, a big team like that. That you know, obviously, has probably got the biggest fan base in the world. I mean, everybody knows Ferrari, and they just have an, a literal army of fans in all four corners of the globe. So, for for me, it, it, it's it, it's it's a problematic. I mean, I can put them a little bit into the surprise category and a little bit into the disappointment category, but I think just in the the, the fact that you know, I'm kind of sitting on the fence with them. I have to say, yeah, they, they got to be a disappointment because being Ferrari, they have to do better. I would imagine some of the language coming out of Ferrari includes the word miseria. <laughs> I, I hold them to a high standard. Like to me, sure. there are auto manufacturers who race F1 like Mercedes. There are energy drink companies that race <laughs> F1. And then there are racing teams that happen to manufacture high-end luxury vehicles. Mm -hmm. we know Great that point. Ferrari is in the third category. I mean, in Enzo's world, we were there to win races, and if we sold a few cars to subsidize the racing, that was, you know, that's what that was the aim. That was the mission. Like for me, yeah. my all-time F1 podium involves uh, a scarlet red Ferrari driver and all sorts of Tavosi. Uh, underneath um, two things. Yeah. So number one, historically where they have been competitively compared to this year, although I will concede it's a little better than last year, which was an utter disaster. And you know, that, that title to the drive to survive uh, episode on them. We have to talk about Ferrari still <laughs> in my years uh, as I yeah. watched the performance this year, but then I'll add this guys. And you know, maybe I am being a little harsh. We're only halfway through, but, I was told Charles Leclerc was the next coming. Like I was told Charles Leclerc was going to be Michael Schumacher or Jody Schechter or, you know, one of the great Ferrari uh, drivers. Maybe Schumacher was too much, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Like he was promoted quickly to the number one seed in Ferrari. We cast aside a four-time world champion because every egg was in the basket of the Monegast. And... Um, you know, the poll in Monaco, uh, you know, uh, the poll in Monaco, but of course he, he breaks the car uh, in qualifying. So really there's been one highlight and it's been somewhat of a tainted highlight as well uh, for Charles Leclerc. Uh, I mean, he's being outperformed right now by his teammates. Let's face it, Carlos Sainz is yep. better this year than Charles Leclerc. So, yeah, I, I, I guess it depends on your perspective and, and, you know, whether or not you've tempered down, uh, tamped down your expectations of the prancing horses. But uh, I would have suspected that they'd be a little bit more competitive for third place than what we're seeing right now, driver standing wise, than what, they are, what we're seeing right now. 
You know, that that's a great point that you make, that he's being outperformed by Carlos Sainz, who I mentioned uh, just a couple of weeks ago has kind of been my unsung hero of the uh, of the season so far. I mean, he hasn't really been, you know, making a lot of headlines, but I think quietly he's had some pretty good results. And if you look at the at the Drivers' Championship right now, the Ferrari drivers are 6th and 7th. Carlos has 83 points. Charles has 80. And it's kind of funny, I mean, as you were talking about that, uh, you know, him being outperformed, I, it just sort of... I kind of made this uh, conclusion in my head that Charles's performance almost seems to match the the muted and downplayed expectations from the, the from the team itself. I mean, I don't think he's uh, he's phoning it in or or anything like that, but it it just seems that the intensity just really quite isn't there for for one reason. Obviously, he's had some some bad luck as well. I mean, getting smoked by Lance in Hungary, and then you know the whole Monaco thing as well. But uh, it, it it really is. It's it's a frustrating team to watch. I mean, Aston Martin, like we said, was a disappointment, frustrating to watch from just the way, I guess it's more of an organizational thing, but Ferrari is just seems to be frustrating from almost any angle that, uh, that, that you can think of. And Mark, you look like you want to say something. You're getting, you're getting, yeah, feel free to jump in. I, I'm engaged with the conversation. I like the points. It's, it's funny though, because while I don't disagree with anything the two of you have said, I just, I reflect back on the SF 1000 last year. What an unmitigated disaster of a car that was. The era was bad. There was too much drag and they were paying the price of running an illegal engine the year before. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about this team. For sure, Charles Leclerc should absolutely be outperforming Carlos Sainz. To Matt's point, he's been in this car for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, he's familiar with the team and the engineer. The car was really built around he and his his feedback the last couple of years. So that's a little bit of a disappointment. Again, he probably would have scored points in Hungary, but crashing and getting caught up and collected in incidents is just part of the sport. But ultimately, I, I'm impressed with Carlos. I think the transition from him this year from McLaren has been relatively seamless. And I think the one thought, and we can kind of speak to this a little bit later when we kind of start casting our eyes towards the second half of the season, I think Ferrari does have a couple of tricks up their sleeve, which is really going to potentially propel them forward. And I think that's a bit of a surprise because, you know, Mark, you and I talked so much during the winter about the fact that they were really taking this corporate approach to 2021, which was playing down and damping down expectations like guys mm -hmm. we're building towards 22 we're building towards 22 because then if the results weren't spectacular you're not getting that backlash from the media and their fans like hey they calibrated our expectations they're building towards 2022 but i think they've got some uh some tricks up their sleeve which we'll speak to uh in the next segment yeah just before we go to a break here i just wanted to mention it i just want to hear matt's take on this because uh, we were talking about this uh, article that came out uh, on forbes.com a couple of weeks ago where they had the top 10 driver salaries in in formula one and it was no surprise who the top four or five drivers were you got your Hamiltons your Verstappens your Perez's but it was really interesting because uh in that uh that list uh, I think it was the, the combined salary total for uh, Ferrari's wage bill for Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc was 20 million US for for two very good very young drivers and you compare that to Sergio Perez which I think Sergio's contract uh, comes in at about 18 million US per year and I thought to myself well you know they they got both Carlos and and, uh, and and Charles under contract in the short to midterm. And, you know, you're not really hampered by that uh, amount of money because we all 
pretty much accept at some point this uh, whole driver's salary cap is going to come into into play that they could have uh, really set themselves up uh, uh, you know really nicely but Matt you know assuming that these numbers are true and you would expect when it comes to an outlet like Forbes that uh, they wouldn't um, you know publish anything that uh, isn't as accurate as possible but when you see that those sorts of numbers for like the Ferrari drivers and compare them to they just sort of value dollar for dollar what, what do you make of that uh well first of all if they want to pay me any money to drive a ferrari i'm in uh <laughs> when you look at their road cars it's works the other way around um secondly i i guess i'm not that surprised guys like you know i go back to f1 when ferrari's annual budget was reported to be like a half billion dollars a year i mean i go back I remember Sport Magazine used to um, publish a list of the highest paid athletes on planet Earth. And the highest paid athlete was not a footballer, was not Michael Jordan, even at the absolute height of his career. Mm -hmm. It was Michael Schumacher of Ferrari. Interesting. It was like $40, $50 million a year that Michael was being paid to win all those championships and drive that red Ferrari around the track with incredible distinction, one should say. I mean, you know, outside of Lewis, nobody, <coughs> excuse me, is in that category. Um, so I guess I'm just not, I'm, I, I, my eyebrows don't tend to race when I hear huge money figures thrown around F1 and, and particularly not around the Scuderia either. You know, it's, it's funny because we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. Was it you that uh, maybe sent me the link to that uh, article, Mark? I, I think it was uh, something. Uh, re- it was something to do with Michael Schumacher, what he was, what he's reportedly worth nowadays. And I, I think that uh, now, um, obviously, health wise, he's been in, in poor health ever since that skiing accident uh, almost ten years ago now. But I seem to remember reading that uh, at this day and age, his personal estate, his fortune, is worth I think anywhere up to about eight hundred million dollars or something just insane because I, I can't remember what the numbers were being thrown out there. It was huge uh, amount of money. Like uh, Matt was saying, he was getting paid in salary, but then he had all the, the sponsorship and the endorsements on top of it. And to eclipse Jordan when he was at the absolute pinnacle of his career and how marketable he, I mean, he's still marketable now, but I mean, when he was marketable, when at his pinnacle, when he, in his playing days, I mean, that, uh, that is really something else. Yeah, I, I'm- not to take this conversation off um, off track, gentlemen. No pun intended. Uh, but <laughs> um, have we seen that that Schumacher documentary has come out? And uh, you know, I've said it before on my show. You know, the state of Michael Schumacher today is probably the greatest unreported story in global sport. Hmm. Um, he has been guarded so fiercely. Uh, by his family and by his team since the off-pist uh, skiing accident. And, you know, honestly, yep. what a just gut-wrenching story, right? To survive an F1 career as he did, you know, so on the razor's edge for so many years, all that all that winning, all that distinction. And, you know, he goes back to a time when F1 was really dangerous as well, um, only to lose your faculties, you know, skiing, recreational skiing. I just, I am so curious at what, uh, Shumi's life is like now and what the Schumachers have gone through 
over this last decade. And yet I sort of feel like I'm going to be watching it like this a little bit just because of how sad it is. And, you know, I'll, I'll say straight up, I wasn't Michael's biggest fan. I was a Jacques Villeneuve fan. I thought Michael could be uh, tempestuous and a bad sport, poor sportsmanship. We saw it on track many a time. Um, but there was still no, um, you know, let's, let's not get it twisted. This is one of the great drivers of all time, period, if mm-hmm. not the greatest. And to see how he could manipulate a car millimeter perfect around a racetrack uh, was truly watching just, you know, magnificent skill, the likes of which, you know, even I'm not even sure. You guys asked me last time who's the best you've ever seen. I, I'm still sort of in the Schumacher camp. So uh, I, uh, I look forward to It's one of these documentaries where I can't wait to see it, but I'm not sure I can bear to watch uh, when it goes down. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I I completely understand that sentiment, Matt, because um, you know, you you guys probably watched that uh, documentary about Ayrton Senna that came out. Uh, I I guess it's been ten, twelve, fifteen years, whatever it is, and uh, I still remember that weekend back in '94 when, first of all, we had the death of Roland Ratzenberger in qualifying. Follow that up the next day with the death of Ayrton Senna during the race itself at uh, at Imola, and I sat down. I I watched that documentary, and I was absolutely riveted right from the the moment uh, that that i started watching it it's still available i think it's uh, you can watch it on netflix and other you know sites like that where you can stream it but you you get to that point where you get to imola in 94 and and all these years later the emotions are just too raw i've tried to watch that documentary from start to finish a number of times and and i hit imola 94 and i just can't do it and i kind of wonder and the schumachers are fairly private people anyways I, i don't think that there would be anything really showcasing Michael's present condition, but I, I'm kind of wondering if so. there might be something that comes out, some some sort of um, something that is, is revealed in this documentary. Yeah, I mean, boy, I, I think if you're doing a documentary on Michael Schumacher after all this time, there, we've never seen a photo of him, right? Well, that's right. So, you know, I I hear you with regards to the Schumachers and how fiercely private they have been. But, Mm -hmm. boy, I I think if you're tuning into this documentary, tough as it might be, I think you're looking to see an image of Michael present day. Yeah, it it really makes you wonder, right? Yeah. Anyways, I'm sorry for that aside, gentlemen. But no, uh, I I think that's great, and I I think probably a little bit of context for our our newer listeners as well. You know, Matt spoke a couple of minutes ago to the fact that a number of years ago, I think flashback to 2013, early 2014, Michael was involved in a in, in a really unfortunate ski accident with a head injury, and despite the fact that the British press is especially invasive when it comes to sports stars and professional sports, they have been very, at least, you know what, give or take a couple of weeks immediately after the accident, they've been pretty respectful. And I think when Matt talks about the fact that we haven't had a glimpse, really, I think it's because of that, not because that it hasn't been accessible, but rather I think the media have been really respectful through all of this. But to Matt's point as well, to me, I think what I'm most excited about is obviously I want to reflect back on his career, the good and the bad, because Matt makes a great point that it wasn't all flowers with Michael Schumacher. Mm-hmm. He was disqualified yeah. from the 1997 championship for trying to crash into JV and take him <laughs> yeah. off the track. And hopefully the documentary will be honest and, and show yeah. the entire story. But 
hopefully there's a glimpse and hopefully it's something positive that we can take away that, ah, there's some improvement. He's okay. And he's going to be able to at least to some degree enjoy Mm -hmm. and uh, relish in the fact that his son himself is now in Mm -hmm. in Formula One. Yeah. Yeah. You hope he can communicate something um, from his own mind, from his own words, but also (coughs) the other situation here is that is at play here. And I imagine this, has something to do with this documentary uh, getting done and now coming out when it's coming out is now mixing an F1 car, right? So yep. there's a legacy there. You know, they're hopeful That's one day that Mick climbs an F1 podium like his dad. And when that day happens, I sure hope Michael can participate in it regardless of the state he's in and share that sort of joy. Absolutely. And if that's the first public image of Michael, then that detracts from Mick's achievement, right? Should that day come. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's all been calculated by team Schumacher and, you know, that they understood that once Mick ascended to F1, that that was a game changer, that at that point they probably owed the F1 audience globally uh, a little bit more information, insights, so that it could appropriately grieve alongside the Schumachers with what has happened, but also – uh, rejoice in the great story of a legacy driver here in young Nick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just before I throw it to a break here, like one thing I just want to throw in here, uh, you know, maybe it's obvious or not, but just in this day and age when it is so easy to disperse information globally at the click of a button, the fact that nothing has leaked out, and of course, you know, they have a, you know, a very big, uh, you know, complex, yes, you know, where they did. So, I mean, it's obviously a lot easier to keep the, 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 the paparazzi at bay when you have a big estate like that, and then also control who comes in and out of the house but it's just amazing that in this day and age nothing has leaked out and and mark spoke about the respect of the media and and of course uh, you know a, a lot of people are going to do that but it only takes you know one scumbag you know one paparazzo to to, to get in that sees yeah especially with social media and somebody to to to, to leak a picture or something like that with the hope of a payday along the way or notoriety or whatever you know malicious motive that they have uh, it's it, it makes the story all that more I- incredible anyways guys let's take a quick break when we come back and when we're going to do that we're, we're going to go into the part of the show that we like to call rapid fire questions okay that's kind of a subheading but we're going to go with it anyway so guys don't go away we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Again, you're listening to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One with a special guest host, Mr. Matt Sakaris. And you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Sakaris. And that is M-A-T-T-S-E-K-E-R-E-S. And you can follow the show or find out whatever he and Blake Price are up to. And you can find them online at SakarisandPrice.com. Of course, you can listen to them live every day, Monday to Friday at 3 uh, three to 6 p.m. on Pacific time, might I add, uh, because this is a global audience. And then you can find them online to download everywhere thereafter. And uh, boy, uh, Matt, you guys have been busy. This is a global audience. We do a homely little podcasts and live presentation here in the province of British Columbia. And like you guys are worldwide. So (laughs) uh, have me on and each and every time. Awesome conversation so far, guys. I just, I've had a perma smile and and can't wait for the second half of this. So 
Okay, well, let's get into it now. So, Mark, you uh, set this part up. So why don't you take it away? Because I love how you have the, the what you call the rapid fire questions. I feel like they're just going to come fast and furious here. And again, I don't know why everything one of us says, there, there's like some sort of like car or motorsport thing, kind of like a pun implied in all of it. Anyways, take it away before I make another unfortunate and, and pun. honestly, the headings were more a reminder to me <laughs> to keep the pace going, because I assume by the time we got here, we'd be two hours deep after committing to, uh, to, committing to Matt, that would be 60 minutes. So I think the first question, I'm going to jump right into this one. World Drivers Championship prediction. We are 11 races into the championship. We don't really know how many races we have left. We know Japan's gone. Uh, we haven't backfilled another race already. There's risk that Mexico drops off, that that ultimately Brazil could drop off. So what we do know is that every single Grand Prix from this point on has much greater weight than it did even a few weeks ago. Because again, we don't know if we're going to be able to backfill some of these championships or some of these Grand Prix. So for me, right away, Constructors Championship, I'm going to go off the chart a little bit here. Naturally, I'll lean into Mercedes, but I am going to put my money on Red Bull at this point. And it's specifically because I haven't been impressed with Valtteri Bottas, but my prediction for Constructors Championship will be Red Bull. I don't think they're going to get two titles, and we'll speak to that in a minute, but I think they're going to walk away with one trophy. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I'm going Red Bull as well. Um, Yeah. I think they're going to be spurred on by the massive crowd support in Belgium and then, of course, in Holland. So give me Red Bull. Yeah, I'm going with that, uh, too. Uh, It's kind of funny. And Mark, you just hinted at it, too, that uh, they're going to win a championship, but they're only going to win one. And I I know exactly where you're going with it. But yeah, I I agree with both of you guys. I see Red Bull winning the constructors. Uh, Sorry, I was going to say Valtteri. (laughs) Pardon me, getting wrong driver mixed up with the wrong team. But uh, I I think Sergio, after a couple little hiccups in the first couple of the races, has become a lot more stable. I think he's providing more of a one-two punch for Red Bull. Then uh, Valtteri is providing in a one-two punch uh, for for Mercedes. Now the big thing is is whether or not can they get these two cars across the finish line because they've been playing bumper cars the last couple of races and that's you know caused them to lose their lead. That big gap that they were opening up in both championships is has eroded and disappeared really really quick. I think it's a great point. I think Sergio is getting better in the Red Bull, and I think we've seen the best of Valtteri in the Mercedes. Uh, if, if the next question is drivers, Hamilton, are we going drivers now? Let's go driver. Take it away. Yeah. Well, I'm going max for what I just outlined. I think they're going to win in Belgium, uh, because I think max is the nerviest driver out there. And so I think he'll do the best through Eau Rouge, which incidentally guys, if you may have noticed is getting scarier and scarier by the year. <laughs> yep. I think spa is the best racetrack in the world, but at the end of the day, people have to stop dying and having huge accidents at Eau Rouge. And um, even it's the best corner in mo- motorsport. But if the cars are now getting too fast for that corner, and we have to neuter it a little bit for safety, I, I can understand that. I mean, I'd miss it terribly if it ever came off the F1 calendar because to me it is the race. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Max is the nervy, so I think he's going to win in Belgium. Boy, uh, there is a long history, including Jacques of just feeling the pressure and not being able to get it done at your home race. Now, Lewis obviously blows that out of the water at Silverson. But I think Max will win in Holland as well. And I think those two victories will propel him and Red Bull to the dual championship. 
Yeah, that, that's a great point because, I mean, Belgium, he's going to get a huge amount of Dutch fans making the trip there. I mean, I, I believe that they live in Belgium. I think he was uh, born there as well. I mean, it's all very compact and close together. He's going to have, uh, like you say, massive support at those two races. I mean, if you look at what we've seen at the Red Bull ring sort of pre-COVID, I mean, it almost looks like a, a soccer game with the Dutch national team playing in the Euros or the World Cup or something like that. I mean, they... they <laughs> Yeah, they, I mean, they bring that level of excitement and passion and, and everything to it. And, you, you know, Max is just going to be pumped up because, uh, I mean, God only knows how he got that car home in Hungary. I mean, there was half a car was gone, but still he managed to to complete the race. And that might be one of those things that we've been saying for months that it might just come down to a couple of points that separates these two guys at the end of the season. I mean, if it continues to go back and forth and that just might be one of the the, the the races that that really you know makes the difference for him but it's going to be exciting to watch because you, you know lewis is is not going to let it go easy i mean he in theory he might have the slightly inferior car but what he makes up in his own raw talent and the fact that uh, he's one of the best drivers ever means that this is going to be a real dogfight right down to the very last lap of uh, Abu Dhabi, which is obviously what Mark is hoping for, considering he's got going to be at that race in person. And I, I really hope that's the way that it plays out because it should be, and it's it's been an exciting season thus far. And regardless if it was Lewis or Max, the the one thing I did not want to see when the season started was one of those two guys just disappear down the road right from the, the the first green light of the season, and it becomes a foregone conclusion. So I mean, we've we've seen some great drives, we've seen controversy, we've seen some close races, and I really hope that uh, that that what we have left in the season um you know lives up to that and continues that and also there might be i'm just going to throw this out now to see what you guys think about that considering what mark said that uh, we've seen japan disappear off the calendar maybe we lose mexico and brazil there's got to be a bit of urgency now and concern from these guys that hey we don't know how many races left if if i don't get the maximum amount of points that i have my, my chance to win this championship might disappear before I even realize it. And Mark, on that point, and I think people probably picked up on the fact that I'm still going to lean into Lewis. I just think he has the poise, the experience, the professionalism. But yep. that said, he has to win two of the next three. If, if Max takes, just like Matt predicts, if Max takes two of the next three, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for Lewis to overcome that deficit. And I get it. Lewis is up eight points right now. He's leading the championship, but there were some very unique circumstances that helped put him here. I think the cars are more evenly matched now than at any point during the campaign. But we're also hearing from Red Bull even this week that they're continuing to develop. Whatever Mercedes has coming has been in the pipeline for a while. There's nothing new coming from Mercedes, but Red Bull has been very clear that they are going to throw everything and rightfully so. They're going to throw everything at the championship. So even if the cars are evenly matched in Belgium, that might not be the case a month from now because Red Bull may continue to bring upgrades. And there'll be yeah. there'll be upgrades in the sense of power unit reliability because their power unit's maxed out in terms of what they can do there. Could be some aero upgrades. But Mercedes has been pretty clear that, hey, our pathway, our pipeline's pretty dry. But I think it'll be Lewis, but he has to win two of the next three because if Max takes two of the next three, I think it'll still come down to the wire, but I think it will be too much of a mountain for Lewis to overcome. Kelsey yeah. Breeze, the guy named Hamilton is picking Lewis. How about 
Well, you, you should have seen some of the reaction that we got that the guy named Hamilton that co-hosts the show showed up one night to record was wearing a Mercedes hat. You can imagine all the comments that we got on social media afterwards. It's just like, yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, th- things that go, I wouldn't say viral, but uh, certainly at the <laughs> people notice. But yeah, I mean, we, we could see if this gets away from either one of these guys, it could uh, really their, their chances to win a uh, championship will evaporate really, really quickly. Right. Yeah. Do you want to okay. take a break or should we dive into the last couple of these and then wrap this up? Well, let's take a quick break and then we can uh, go and tackle these last couple of uh, topics uh, with, at, I guess, our own leisure. So let's uh, do that. We're going to take a quick break to hear a quick message from our sponsors. So don't go away. We'll be back in just one moment. Okay, welcome back to the show, and it's not time to dim the lights and close the curtains and turn everything off just yet. Still plenty of things uh, to talk about. So again, you have uh, Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton, and our guest co-host up on the pit wall tonight, Mr. Matt Sakaris. We've been through a lot of different things uh, this evening, so... Where, where do you want to go with this now, Mark? We've done your rapid fire questions, which was only two. I was expecting like a whole list here, but good fun nonetheless. So, what, what do you got for Not us now? Very rapid now, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we're Williams you know, when it comes to rapid fire. <laughs> I like that. I think our listeners will like that one as well. And just so you know as well, our listeners are are very good. Our community are very good at labeling us. We have the excited mark, which is me. We have the lead mark, which is daily. The host mark, which is I'm also daily. chill mark. Yes. Chill mark, which is daily. <laughs> sure mark, which is daily. So again, our our community are going to have another label for me, which I, I love. But <laughs> think that. And I, first of all, I was totally wrong on this one. I had assumed that during the middle of the summer break, we'd be dropping a couple of emergency reaction podcasts based on driver news, uh, a Bottas announcement, a Russell announcement. And I still think the Russell announcement is tied into whenever the Bottas announcement happens, but I had expected that we would have had some news. So the next question is really just at a high level, your 2022 driver predictions. We know Russell's probably going to be somewhere else. We know Bottas is going to be somewhere else, but leaning into the two of you, what are your thoughts and where do you think the changes will be going into the 2022 campaign? Well, you guys follow this a little more closely than I do. I'm a little bit more in season this year than I am projecting uh, down the road. But, I mean, I told you guys last time I was on, I expected George Russell in a Mercedes by the end of the year. Yeah. And I'm going to stand by that. And the reason I am is they may need him for the Constructors Championship. And I just get a sense that, as much as Valerie, Valtteri has been a good soldier, I think when Valtteri moves on, he's going to move on in mind, body, and soul. And if I'm Toto, I'm not sure I want that guy driving a Mercedes with the Constructors' Championship at hand. George is hungry. And I, I think if you can pull the switcheroo at some point with what's left of this calendar, I think it behooves Mercedes and Toto for the sake of the Constructors. Yeah, I totally agree, Matt. I, I think that uh, Toto is going to pull the trigger, and I think he's going to do it when the, the timing is absolutely perfect, because uh, I think you really nailed it when, when you say that when, when Belt, uh, Valtteri leaves, that, uh, you know, that's he's not going to be one of these guys that, uh, that, that maybe has... Uh, 
you know, regrets or things like that. It'd be like, yeah, you know what? It didn't work out there. Okay. I'm going over to whoever. And that's where my focus is now. He might uh, quietly think, okay, well, you know, I did what I could there and it is what it is. I don't think he's going to dwell on it. And if he perhaps sees the the writing on the wall, like, um, you know, like openly and uh, he, he might be saying, okay, well, I'm here where I'm here to help the team win the championship. But you just kind of think, I, I mean, we've, we've, because I think he go ahead, you know, uh, big time. My big issue yeah. with Valtteri over the years is he got to want to be in the fight. Yeah. I just haven't felt that he's wanted to be in the fight. And so the moment it becomes official that you're not in the fight for Mercedes anymore, I think you, you got to worry ab- about where his headspace and where his heart and soul is. Secondly, you know, there's got to be an expiration date on being the good organizational soldier. He's been the good organizational soldier for half decade now. So yeah. I, I just think as soon as 2022 gets sorted in terms of where Valtteri is going to be and knowing full well that Russell's going to move in the Mercedes, I just think it is not just diminishing returns. I, I, I think it could be fall off a cliff returns for Mercedes in that second seat. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, the way that uh, that the Mercedes operate, they don't want to like concede any kind of uh, ground to any of their rivals. And the the way that I see it is that, excuse me, that at any point in our or at some point in our lives, we've all moved on from one job to another. And just to think about what sort of headspace that you're in uh, when, when you've given your boss your two weeks notice or something like that, you're still there, you're still showing up. But in the end of the uh, in the back of your mind, it's like, so what? I'm out of here in two weeks. I'm moving on to the next biggest, uh, greatest, uh, you know, the, the next step in my career. And I mean, obviously, Formula One is way beyond uh, anything like that. But you just have to think mentally, where is he at? And I, I just I've kind of thrown around a couple of different scenarios in my head why they haven't pulled the trigger so far. And I, I just kind of think it comes down to where do they think they're going to get the most value out of having which driver in the car? Can they expect George to get the, the results at the tracks that they have left? Is Valtteri going to put in the performances at the tracks uh, that uh, that are left on the schedule? But then again, you know, Valtteri's always run well in Russia and other tracks yeah. like that. But if he sees the writing on the wall or, you know, they, they, they haven't had any talks about this rolling one-year contract that he's had every year that, uh, that he's been there and there's usually been some sort of announcement this time a year in the past that they've given him a a new one-year deal and it's it's crickets at this point that's just mentally you know you got to think is the guy completely dialed in and i would agree with you matt uh, Matt, i'd say probably not and and look mark i um i think there is good reason why you wanted to leave valtteri in there like because frankly over the long haul race in race out valtteri's a veteran Valtteri should know that, you know, he can get in the points. He can hit this many points. We've seen with George before, he gets close to the front and it's all a little too much for him. Uh, right. That he's not necessarily uh, of the maturity yet um, to finish off all those opportunities. But I'm going to use a couple analogies here in baseball. You got your starting pitcher and then you bring your closer in. I think George could be a great closer in mm-hmm. football. You know, you, you keep a goal scorer, a striker, who's on in the last 20 minutes looking for that last goal. I think Russell can be that for Mercedes yeah. rather than sort of a tired, forlorn Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think, Mark? You're, you're nodding your head, and uh, I'm not sure if you've got something to add or no, is something. I, 
I agree. I, I don't know that it's going to happen. I think it would be fantastic for us and the F1 Twitter community because we would be so excitable and it would give us so much to talk about. But I don't disagree with with Matt that if Valtteri is is flapping about like a fish out of water in the back half of the season, either because he just doesn't have that competitive edge and he's not in the fight, or if he knows he's not coming back, whether it's been publicly announced or not, how is that contributing to your chase at a championship and i would be open to that move again i don't know if institutionally that's something that mercedes would be open to but at the end of the day when it comes to chasing a title and winning chips you need to do whatever it takes and sometimes you have to make a difficult decision when it comes to to personnel and i just want to caution as well that i know a lot of people are going to reflect back on the last couple of grand prix and they're like oh hamilton you're so mean valtteri was third in the Styrian grand prix second the austrian grand prix was third in the British grand prix. so be it but he has arguably the best car and he was a country mile behind everyone else. Go back to the British Grand Prix. So Lewis comes from the back of the pack, works his way through the field, overtakes Charles Leclerc with two laps left. Why was why was Charles Leclerc ever leading that Grand Prix? How was it that Valtteri Bottas, who had 20 laps to overtake Charles Leclerc, couldn't, but Lewis could with two laps left? Like I'm incredibly frustrated with Bottas in very much the same way that I am with Lance, just the sense that I think the capabilities there, he's got the right package. He's got the right cars. He's been with that team. But to Matt's point, I just don't think the fight's there. I don't think he has that competitive edge. I don't think he's an alpha. And if that switch can help you chase a title or more, more competitive in the championship race, you, you got to do it. So I think Matt's kind of leaned into the next segment, which is what is your hot take for the back half of the season? While also simultaneously addressing the question at hand, um, I think that's the case. And if it doesn't happen midstream, clearly George is going to be in that Mercedes seat next year. And then the question really is, where's Bottas going to be? Is he going to be with Alfa Romeo? And obviously he's been heavily linked to that seat. Does Williams take him back or does Williams continue to lean into the youth movement and break up Nick DeVries, especially considering Mercedes has now wrapped up their Formula E team and they've got a couple of Formula E drivers that don't have a seat. So, so yeah. You, you know, Mark, before we move on to the next segment here, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we haven't even made it uh, to the end of the show and you've already been given a new label because Michelle G in the live uh, chat has just labeled you a George Russell hater. So, of course, there's a winky face emoji Mark, in there. So, there you go. <laughs> balance to the show. With you, there you go. Balance. There you go. Well, Michelle's had her hot take uh, for, for, for the night. So what is going to be your guys' hot take? I'm going to give you mine. I'm going to say before the season's out, Ferrari's going to w- win a race or two, and the winning driver for the Scuderia is not going to be Charles Leclerc. I'm going to say that uh, Carlos Sainz is going to win a win a race for Ferrari before the year is out. At Monza? Would you go as far as saying at Monza? Should have won there last year. Yeah. Give him another lap, two laps. I think that, uh, you know, t- we're, we're talking about George Russell and Valtteri Bottas on motivation and, and hunger. I think that, uh, that, that Carlos has that fire right now. And I think that we're, we're going to see it. I, I'm, that's my hot take. Carlos is going to win a, a race before the end of the year. My hot take is that the chairman, out of incredible frustration, physically accosts someone down the pit lane and Lawrence Stroll gets himself into some trouble. <laughs> you know, he's Canadian. We're Canadian. When things aren't going our way down the stretch, we fight like hockey players, right? So Lawrence Note Stroll to- will be heard from before the end. Of- Note to the guys from Box to Box Film. Aren't heard from by the end. Oh, yeah. Of this year. 
I was just going to say special note to the guys from Box to Box Films to put a special guy on a camera to, to shadow Lawrence Stroll for the rest of the I year. I would watch a Lawrence Stroll ISO cam. I'm not sure about yeah, you two guys. <laughs> Same. I think I, you know, with all with all due respect to Crofty and Martin Brundle, I think I might watch a Lawrence Stroll ISO cam ahead of the actual race footage. Oh, that God. would be good. Any old okay. school indie fans listening will probably get a kick out of this because we all know Paul Tracy and Patrick Caponchi have had their moments in the pit lane yes. during a, during race weekends. I, I'm actually going to lead into what you said, Mark, which is I'm expecting that Ferrari is going to come out on a tear in the back half of the Ooh. season and they're going to leave McLaren in the dust. And it's principally because I don't have enough optimism in Daniel Ricardo continuing to develop as the season goes on. And we reported, well, we didn't report, we read out of an article that was printed on the internet, but we know darn well, and Matteo Bonato has spoken to this, that Ferrari brought minimal power unit upgrades into the opening race of the season and haven't brought any yet. So they've got a major power unit upgrade up their sleeve. We think it could possibly be the internal combustion um, engine. It could be the turbo, the MGUH, the MGUK, possibly the battery pack, but they've got a a wild card up their sleeve that nobody else in the championship has. We know Mercedes, their power unit is locked in. It's not going to be this any different next year. We know Red Bull's power unit is locked in, but Ferrari has this ace up their sleeve, this wild card up of their sleeve. They're not going to have it ready probably for the first couple of races, but they will have it ready by late September, early October. And I think if they can add 15, 20, 25 horsepower to that power unit and they can continue to put in some consistent performances as, as Carlos Sainz Jr. has, I would expect that they will finish ahead of McLaren. And it's principally because Daniel Ricciardo has struggled so much. And again, he's had some decent finishes, but I think his struggles are really going to cost them third place in the constructors. Yeah, good call. And uh, speaking of hot takes, I'm not sure if this is a compliment, uh, a, a hot take. Actually, I'm not sure what this is, but I'm going to read it out because it seems to, to fit in. Uh, Nigel Veli says in the, tri- uh, the live chat, Valtteri showed he's got a great butt in Drive to Survive Season 3. So again, I don't know if that's a hot take or what, but I thought I'd just throw that in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, here we are at the, uh, towards, well, pretty much at the end of the show now, Matt, uh, again, thank you so much uh, for, for hanging out. It's uh, been good fun as always. Uh, before we go, just to remind everyone where we can find you and Blake and where we can listen and all that good stuff. Well, uh, before that, I'm going to say one more thing, cause I promised some pointed Red Bull comments. So. Oh, right. Yeah. That- That's okay. Mark. That's okay. Can I tell you guys what I want, what I really, really want? (laughs) I think I know where this is going already. I really, really want Mr. Jerry Halliwell to stop complaining about what has happened between his drivers and Mercedes drivers. Back a couple of Grand Prix. Now, I I think the world of Christian Horner, I think he's been a great character and figure and marketer of the sport. I think he's a superb communicator. And an excellent leader who has obviously built some championship teams. But the degree to which he carried grievance forward on the two incidents. And on the first one, look, Max had more room to the outside. Lewis had more room to the inside. That's a racing incident on the first corner. If we're going to go to the lengths that Red Bull went to litigate that issue with the FIA to the point where, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, the FIA, FIA called them creators. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Not like yeah. in a godly sense and not like in an yeah. invention <laughs> sense. Uh, right. 
So if you're going to go to those lengths, I think you're cutting at something that's kind of core to the sport. And I and I get it. Max took a big hit, but he was almost instantly okay. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like we were talking about Max Verstappen in hospital and we were worried about him. And then, you know, the comments after Hungary were once again, were hit by a, a Mercedes. Look, uh, you know, Valtteri, and, and he was right. It was a carding mistake on Val, Valtteri's part. Really, really terrible. Um, but, you know, he's not the first guy to miss the breaking point in the wet. Uh, and, and while I think some of that rivalry and that chat, that chit-chat and smack talk is good for the sport um, off track and in the interview sessions and all that, I, I thought Christian carried it a little too far. Uh, I think he got to a point where it was, um, well, Frankie was just too much whining. Um, so whatever happens from this point forward with Red Bull and Mercedes, uh, first of all, I hope there's no incidents. I hope it's just good, clean racing. Um, secondly, I would hope the sort of politicking and the gamesmanship and the, you know, trying to work the FIA like they have been in the media, I would hope that would be kept to a minimum and that we'll see the best of Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen on track and the best of Total Wolf and Christian Horner off track. Um, thank you for allowing me my... My two cents, or maybe that was eight to ten cents. It was too long. No, Matt, I, I know you and I have been texting about this yeah. for, for months, and I couldn't agree with you more. It it hasn't been a good look. It yeah. hasn't mm-hmm. been helpful to F1 as they've tried to make inroads mm-hmm. into new communities and fan bases. It's mm-hmm. just been a bad look. And I think the risk is that if it continues, and there's a certain segment of the fan base that leans into what Red Bull's saying and believes it to be true, you get to a position where you devalue the championship. Well, and what happens if there's an incident like this at Abu Dhabi and it's a, a, a championship de- deciding incident? What if Red Bull just protests the championship? Well, yeah. we don't believe that. We I don't want to be in that world. You're so right, Mark, because like you have so many new eyeballs on Formula One. You're right. You, you don't want to taint this year's championship whatsoever. Like if you want to scream bloody murder, scream bloody murder at what Schumacher has done at the end of some championships. Like we talked about in with Jacques and whatnot, like that is, you know, that was brazen. That was nakedly bad sportsmanship, bad driving, plain as day intent um, um, to take somebody off track. But like, you know, I don't know, but you guys, I deal with so many new F1 fans and, you know, they ask me like, why is Red Bull so upset about that incident? And like, I'm sitting there going because their guy took a big shunt, like, you know, Mm -hmm. racing incident in the first quarter. That's what we love about this sport from time to time. Those incidents are going to happen. And so when you're on the losing end of it, you just got to say, Hey, that's racing. We're going to come back and fight the next week. And I just felt like through a two week break day after day, they were prolonging that prolonging that so much so that they brought it to the Hungaro ring and, yeah, so I, I hope we've heard, uh, well, seen the last of that, but most importantly heard the last of that uh, from Christian and Red Bull. And Guys, thanks again for having me on the uh, pod. I'm here, as you know, I'm here for you anytime, uh, my dudes. Um, so KerrisonPrice.com, 3 to 6 p.m. for anyone's a hockey fan or ice hockey fan if you're global um, or uh, have any association with the province of British Columbia and its sporting uh, scene, but I'll continue to watch the race. I'll continue to listen in to you guys. So thank you.
That's awesome. Well, Matt, thanks again. And everybody, if you haven't checked out Sakaris and Price and do so, you won't be disappointed. It is the premier sports uh, show in Vancouver and beyond. They're always knocking it out of the park. So make sure you check them out. And of course, if you want to follow us, uh, you can do so on the Twitters at Scuderia F1 Pod, where my friend and co-host does an outstanding job. And you can always uh, send some emails. Bitter Brad has been filling up the mailbox here over the past couple of days. You know, it's funny. We've got in Vancouver, we've got some legendary uh, callers into the sports uh, talk radio stations like the pauser and troy and white rock bitter brad is you know he's getting a name for himself around here but he sent in a, a couple really uh, well thought out emails so we'll get to those in the next show and a couple more and including a follow-up on uh, what we were talking about uh, just the other um, the other day with kimmy raikkonen and his military service we had a, another email addressing that one and that's it. Uh, like I said, if you want to get in touch with uh, with us, you can uh, do so by sending us an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll be back very, very soon. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, Matt Sikaris, have a great night. Bye for now.